Father, you are so good. And it is our joy and delight to proclaim your goodness. And we thank you that we can because of how you have shown your goodness towards us and giving him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might be restored to a right, pleasing, and good relationship with you. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, as we open your word Would you open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes that we might see Jesus for who he is and that we might see who we are because of him. Come and stir up your love in our hearts and in this place as we look to you as our hope, as our life. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been punished for something that you didn't do? You ever been punished for something that you didn't do? As I was thinking about that this week, I remembered a story earlier in life. I was about six, and my family went on summer vacation to Washington, D.C. to stay with some friends. And as my parents and my friend's parents were downstairs talking after dinner, uh, I joined my older sister, my younger sister, and my two friends upstairs jumping on the bed. And uh, we were going a little crazy, and things started getting out of hand, and at one point, my friend Chris pushed my little sister and then punched her in the face and she fell off the bed. And in the midst of all of this, I jumped down and was trying to help my little sister and I was trying to talk to my friend Chris and as we were trying to kind of unravel what happened, news got downstairs that I was the one that hit my sister and pushed her off the bed. And uh, the parents came up, everybody got sent outside And I got spanked with a wooden spoon really, really hard. It's amazing how at a very young age, you have a sense of right and wrong. We get an innate understanding of how much we dislike injustice. And our innate desire for justice to be rightly served. I think that's helpful as we begin to contemplate our scripture reading this morning that Nate so beautifully read. Because in our gospel lesson this morning, everybody is guilty. And yet everybody is trying in one way or another to avoid that guilt. The religious leaders are guilty. They've illegally put Jesus on trial under the cover of night, and then they hypocritically refuse to go into the palace the next morning to avoid violating the law and disqualifying themselves from celebrating the Passover, and all at the same time, they don't mind asking Pilate to crucify Jesus for them. 
They're a mess. Pilate is guilty. He finds no guilt in Jesus, but because he wants to make everybody happy, he condemns Jesus to death. Barabbas is guilty, but he gets set free on an annual legal technicality. The only one who is not guilty is Jesus, and yet the only one who is condemned is him. Doesn't this seem like a massive miscarriage of judgment? Doesn't it seem like a a massive miscarriage of justice? Innocent people shouldn't be punished. Guilty people should, right? So why does God allow this to happen? And what is Jesus doing? And maybe the best question is, where have we seen this kind of exchange happen before? The story of God is full of exchanges. Exchange is God's strategy for salvation. It's how time and time again, God atones for human sin. Though it is the guilty sinner who deserves to be killed, God accepts the sacrifice of an innocent substitute. That exchange happens throughout God's story. And we first see this exchange with Adam and Eve. I wanna wanna invite you to kind of go with me through uh, different examples of this exchange in God's story. I, I, know it's, um, I know it's a sleepy morning. I know there's a lot of pollen in the air, but I wanna invite you to go with me, to open your Bibles and to track a few of these exchanges with me. It's really eye-opening. The first exchange we see is with Adam and Eve. That's on page two in your blue Bible. Genesis chapter two, God tells the first humans, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly, you will certainly die. But Adam and Eve disobey and sin against God, and they become guilty and feel ashamed of themselves for it. And so look down at Genesis 3, 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. You see what's happening? They're afraid of God because God clearly said that the consequence of sin is death. So they try to hide from God, but God pursues them. They try to avoid their guilt by blaming, but God holds them accountable. They try to cover up their shame with self-made flimsy fig leaves, but their attempt is insufficient. So what does God do? Look down at 321. The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam 
and his wife. God kills an innocent animal instead of Adam and Eve. An innocent animal is sacrificed in the place of, as a substitute for, the ones who are truly guilty. And then they're clothed in the skin of that sacrificial animal to cover their shame. The animal is a gift from God. God does the work and Adam and Eve only receive it. God exchanges the life of Adam and Eve for the life of a sacrificial animal. And this becomes foundational to the rest of God's story. What we will see over and over again is the theme that salvation will come because God will provide some substitutionary exchange and covering. God will provide it. He will do for us what we cannot do ourselves. We see this exchange with Abraham, don't we? In Genesis 22, God provides a ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. And so we hear the angel of the Lord say, don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you love God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. We see the exchange on the Passover. During the last plague before the Exodus, God provides a way for his people to avoid the angel of death and the life of each firstborn son is spared in exchange for a sacrificial lamb. In Exodus 12, the Lord says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. By sacrificing an innocent lamb and covering the door with its blood, each household is saved. Hang with me now. We see the exchange again on Yom Kippur, the the day of atonement. The day of atonement was the most important day of the year. It was so important, it was referred to simply as the day. Beginning in Leviticus four, we see that on that day, a healthy goat without defect was chosen. And the high priest placed his hands on that sacrificial animal transferring the sin and guilt of the people to it. And then the high priest slaughtered that innocent animal, which acted as a substitute for the sins of the people, the sins of the people who deserve the death. And then finally, the high priest took that blood and sprinkled some of it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And the blood represented life given as a payment for sin because God said that life is in the blood. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this theme again and again and again. God accepts the substitutionary death of an innocent animal 
that bears the punishment the sin the sinner deserves. The life of the innocent is exchanged for the life of the guilty. Now, what we soon discover in God's story is that animal sacrifice is only a temporary solution for sin. As the author of Hebrews will write, since it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, the animal sacrifices of the old covenant do not create a lasting atonement. They only point to the lasting atonement that would one day be offered by God himself. If you haven't read Hebrews chapter 10 lately, I encourage you to read it. What does God do? God addresses this problem with a promise. And he does so speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Once again, God will provide. This time, however, God's going to provide a person, not an animal, a king, a messiah. God himself will come as a sacrificial servant to die once and for all as a perfectly innocent substitute for the sin of a guilty world. What will be the great exchange to which all other exchanges point and find their true meaning? God tells us through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is the greatest exchange? The exchange to which every other exchange points and finds its true meaning. It is this, by grace, the king, the Messiah, will be pierced, crushed, wounded, and punished to pay the penalty of sin that we deserve dying in our place so that we don't have to. And by faith, we will receive forgiveness, peace, healing, and life. That's the promise. And that's the background and the context for our gospel lesson this morning. The story of Barabbas is about so much more than what it appears to be about on the surface. The story of Barabbas illustrates this great exchange. And for John, this story is a portrait of the gospel itself. I want to invite you to turn to John 18. Beginning in verse 38 in your blue Bible, that's on page 905. Everybody okay? Yes. What truth, retorted Pilate, and with this he went out again into the courtyard to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against this man, against Jesus. But it's your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? 
And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, as we find in a reading of all four Gospels, is a rebel and a murderer and a thief. He incites an insurrection against Rome. He's tried, found guilty, and condemned to die. And standing next to him is Jesus, a teacher, a healer, a servant. He's the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And an exchange is about to happen. Now, Hebrew quiz. When the word bar, B-A-R, appears before a name, do you remember what it means? Son of. And what does Abba mean? So Barabbas means son of the father. Barabbas, the son of our earthly father, Adam, is set free. Jesus, who is the son of God, the son of our heavenly father, takes his place. This is a portrait of the great exchange. And it's as if John wants us to look at it and see ourselves in it. We are all Barabbas. Guilty rebels contemned to die. And Jesus steps in for each one of us. We all deserve death and yet Jesus subs in by becoming our substitutionary sacrifice. By grace, Jesus frees us from the penalty our sins deserve by becoming that substitutionary sacrifice. And by faith, we are made right with God because of what he's done, not because of who we are, no matter what we have done. That's the great exchange. And that great exchange is the foundation of the gospel. That great exchange is the heart of the apostolic testimony that we have received today. And so I know it's a sleepy morning. And I know our heads are stuffy, but I I want to invite you to go deeper with me and to really look at who Jesus is And because of who Jesus is, who we are. In Romans 5, Blue Bible, page 942. The testimony is this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. 
For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, how much more will we be saved through the resurrected life of his son? What's the exchange? By grace, Jesus is condemned on our behalf, voluntarily shedding his blood for our sake and dying in our place as a sacrifice for our sin. And by faith, we are forgiven our sin, saved from death, and restored to a right relationship with God. That is a great exchange. It's what Paul also teaches the church in Galatia, page 973, Galatians 3.10. Those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. So it's clear that no man can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. But Christ has rescued us from this curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And just when we think it can't get any better, Paul doubled downs, doubles down. He says, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles, that's you and me, with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit by faith. What's the exchange? By grace, Jesus takes the penalty of our inability to obey the law. And by faith, we receive the blessing of Abraham. And not just that inheritance, but the very presence of God himself, the Holy Spirit within us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is the testimony to every expression of the local church in the first century. This is God's testimony today. This is the faith that we have inherited. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's the exchange? Jesus takes our unrighteousness and sin and clothes us in his righteousness and life. That is God's strategy for salvation. Substitutionary atonement. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Last night, I had a family dinner and watched a movie at the Alamo Draft House. We went and saw A Wrinkle in Time. Anybody seen it yet? Okay, don't waste your money. It was the most disappointing movie I've seen in years. Like the book, I liked the cinematography and the animation. But Disney took out 
every single reference to Jesus and every single reference to the scripture. And they left, and what resulted was this synchronistic, new age, eastern, mythological understanding of God and self. And y'all, by God's grace, I am hypersensitive to that. And I almost walked out twice. I did walk out once, but I came back. And the reason why I'm hypersensitive to that is because I know who I am without Christ. And even greater, I know who I am in Christ. And the reason why we're drilling down on this today is because there may be a lot of things that as followers of Jesus with grace, we need to learn, we need to take on, we need to mature in. But by God's grace, let one thing always be true, that we know the gospel. And not that we just know it as some kind of intellectual proposition that we ascend to as truth, but that it has infected our lives and transformed our hearts and comes out of everything that we think and do and say. And that we don't just hold this gospel as treasure in the jars of clay that we are. We don't just keep this faith, but we pour it out into the lives of others, into the lives of our family, into the lives of our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. And so the challenge in a scripture passage like this is, yeah, I've heard that, but have you received it? Yes, I know that, but how are you applying it to your life and your circumstances right now this week? Yeah, I'm doing that. Well, how are you communicating and sharing that truth with grace to somebody this week? Because the gospel isn't just for us. The gospel is for us that we might share it with others. How do we respond? Y'all, this morning, this, this portrait of the gospel, this story of Barabbas and Jesus, this great exchange invites us to take a real hard look not only of our understanding of who Jesus is and our understanding of who we are, but what forgiveness really is and what forgiveness is not. God doesn't just let go of our sin because our sin doesn't just go away. God doesn't just forget about our sin because unforgiven, unremoved sin occupies a devastating place in our heart and wreaks havoc on our lives and the lives of those around us. So God doesn't just sweep our sin under a rug, pretending everything is okay and playing nice with us. And God doesn't just get over it. He can't. 
and neither can we. The truth is, the reality is, is that sin is a problem. And our sin hurts God. And the consequence of our sin is death. That's the price that we owe God. And it's in reflecting on that and humbly acknowledging that and confessing that that makes God's response so dear and precious and good to us. This is what makes the gospel really good news. It's the great exchange. God pays the price for us. God takes the debt we owe him and puts it on Jesus and Jesus dies so that we don't have to. And that means the most grateful response in our lives is by declaring with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead that we might have healing that we might be forgiven, that we might be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and have life in his name. That is the great exchange. It's not just about Barabbas and Jesus. It's about us and Jesus. Now, it's also not only about us and Jesus. It's about Jesus and us and one another. Because this exchange of forgiveness is the foundation of our life in Christ. It is the rhythm of following Jesus with grace. This is not only who Jesus is and what he has done for us, this is who we are and what we do for each other. Jesus says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. And you know what that means? That means forgiveness is not just letting go because sin doesn't just go away it means forgiveness isn't just forgetting what was done or said because unforgiven unredeemed sin terrorizes our soul and the souls of those around us forgiveness is not sweeping offenses and hurts between us under the rug, simply shrugging and saying, it's okay. Because it's not okay. Forgiveness is this. And at our Lenten lunch this week, Casey Harris said it so beautifully. Forgiveness is the exchange of peace that Christ purchased on the cross. 
And that forgiveness is not something that we just receive for ourselves. That forgiveness is also what we give away to one another. So the cross has two beams. A vertical beam that represents the peace that we have with God through the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. But the horizontal beam represents the peace that we have with one another because of the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross. And our life is meant to be lived upward and outward. It is a both and. Let let me illustrate this. Stolly, I'm going to pick on you because you're taking notes. I love it. If you hurt me and I hold that against you, I'm expecting you to pay me what I desired from you but never received from you. But you can't go back in time and give that back to me. You can't make up and give me what I needed and what I deserved from you. And if I continue to hold that against you, it doesn't just poison our relationship, it poisons my heart. And the only one who can help us is Jesus, who took on every offense and paid for them all and continues to do so outside the confines of time. And so forgiveness means that I'm going to take the debt that you owe me and put it on Jesus and let him pay for it. Not you. Because you can't pay me back. And so I'm going to forgive you and not expect anything from you because Jesus is going to fully and perfectly satisfy what I desire and needed to receive in the first place. He not only pays in full, he satisfies in full. And so I'm not going to hold against you what was already held against Jesus in your place. And that means we're going to be right with one another. That's the great exchange that breaks every chain of sin between us and God and us and one another and sets guilty people free with a declaration of innocence in Christ. That's who Jesus is and what he does. Because of Jesus, that's who we are and that's what we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for not holding our sin against us, but for giving us Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we ask as we come to him at the table this morning,
continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that we may be purified from all unrighteousness and clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that we may be strengthened in the calling we have received to be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love and forgiving one another as you have forgiven us. Lord, this is the great exchange that you have made a reality in our lives. Help us to be who we are because you are who you say you are. And Lord, as we live for you, let this well up in our heart as praise, as we declare your gospel, not only with our lips, but in our lives. Be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.